Welcome everyone to our weekly webinar series, Successful Strategies for Shaping Your Future, brought to you in partnership by URSA, Club Solutions, and Rex Executive Roundtables. I'm Brent Darden, and this week we're focusing on thinking like a retailer in fitness. And today's session is sponsored by Jonas Fitness. Joining me once again, like a couple of bad habits you just can't break, are Blair McHaney, CEO of MXM and the owner of Works of Wenatchee, and Bill McBride, co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness. And joining us as uh, honored guests this week, we have Meredith Rawson, who's the AGM of Cooper Fitness Center, and John Brady, who's the president of Midtown Athletic Club. So welcome everyone. Uh, excited about today's session. We've got a lot of great information to share with you. So before we start, uh, Meredith, can you just give everyone a little background on uh, the Cooper Fitness Center? And yeah. so we'll know sort of the perspective that you're speaking from. Absolutely. So again, I'm Meredith Rawson. I'm the Assistant General Manager here at Cooper Fitness Center, um, located on a 30-acre campus. Um, and I'm actually starting my 15th year here, um, which that I realize kind of dates me, so let's just erase that. Um, and what we are is we are a private multi-purpose club. Um, we serve about 3,400 paying members um, with full programming, everything from personal training, over 100 group X, um, classes a week, tennis, swimming, um, outdoor track, as well as youth programming, day spa, a fast casual restaurant, and then also what we're here to talk about today, the Coop, which is our 500 square foot retail space. So. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, John, about Midtown Athletic Clubs. Uh, thanks, Brent. Yeah, um, I'm the president of Midtown Athletic Clubs. We have um, eight uh, clubs across mostly the eastern seaboard of the United States and up into Canada and Montreal as well. Uh, they're, they're all large, um, multi-purpose, premium end um, facilities. Uh, largest is the 700,000 square foot uh, club in Chicago, which also includes a hotel. Um, it's a full hospitality suite, uh, restaurant, bar, uh, spa, uh, shop, retail store, um, a number of other facilities within that, 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 uh, that, that club. But um, we are expanding that, that same concept across our other clubs as well uh, throughout the United States. Yeah, so beautiful club, John. I've seen uh, many of your clubs, but the, the flagship there is just awe-inspiring, really, really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I've been all over the world, as has Bill, you know, speaking and consulting and so forth. And it has to be, yeah, one of the most beautiful clubs, I think, in the whole world. So congrats on that. Thank you. Appreciate it. And of course, the Cooper campus, for those of you that haven't visited the Cooper campus, they're on 33 acres and they also have a hotel and a clinic and the fitness center and running track and all sorts of things. And that's uh, beautiful in its own right also. But um, John, let's go with you first, let you kick it off if you don't mind. Uh, the topic today is thinking like a retailer in fitness. And we do wanna talk about pro shops and you know traditional retail selling of merchandise, but it's really a bigger conversation than that. And the Midtown pulled that off really well. So can you just give us a little insight into sort of the thought that went into design around retail as a concept? Yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. I mean, retail was a, was a huge concept for us as we were um, designing and building the flagship club in Chicago. Um, we took 
uh, a lot of time actually you know it sounds fun but we, we took a lot of time down in disney world actually um you're looking at the retail the way they do retail in, in disney so you know how you queue up and they give you the experience uh beginnings and then you go through the ride and you always come out through the store and the, so that, that that retail journey is really important and so the club was designed around that sort of disneyland retail journey so when you come into the club what do you see it's like a um, a preface uh, or a prologue. You know, I get to smell things, touch things, see things, um, and everything on the journey was designed to try and engage your senses, uh, whether it be by touch, by smell, by 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 view, um, and really the whole uh, process is like a retail experience. Um, so. We started to think like that back uh, in 2015. We saw the boutique uh, fitness um, spaces really start to pick up and really start to become a, uh, a competitor for what we were wanting to deliver. And it's it's something that resonates with um, customers uh, as well as members because you have a uh, you come into a boutique store and there's a there's a feeling immediately. There's a um, there's an entrance way. There's a, a, a sense of arrival, mm -hmm. and then how you're treated through the next stage before you even get into the studio. Um, there's a feeling that you're going into something with like-minded people. So we wanted to try to create that in a big box facility um, in the high-end market, and that's really uh, how we, we how we think about our, our clubs now. And we've just completed a redevelopment along the same lines in uh, the North Shore of Chicago and in our upstate club, upstate New York club in Rochester along exactly the same lines. So retailing and thinking like a retailer has been key to our redevelopment really of the in-club experience. So John, one more just kind of uh, extension of what you're saying. The people that sort of, uh, you know, embellished and put this concept in place as you started, did you reach outside the industry for this talent and these people to help uh, craft that? Yeah, absolutely. We did. We brought in a uh, we brought in a number of people from the retail uh, retail world. Uh, we also liaised. I say we we spoke with a number of people at Disney, a number of their um, executives, their, their what they call their customer experience executives at Disney, and we actually brought on board a um, operations director from Royal Caribbean Cruises. Uh, so we brought in someone from the cruise line industry to help us with that whole resort. Uh, type of experience. How do we create a resort um, at the club? And I think you know, we had a, um, a member who described the, the Chicago flagship club to us about a week after we opened, um, who said, it's like being on a cruise ship, but it just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, so I thought that was a really nice analogy, actually, that um, you know, everything's there. You don't have to get off it. You don't have to get off the ship. You can just stay. There's a hotel you could sleep upstairs if you want you know so be it yeah. Uh, but yeah we brought in a lot of experience from outside the industry in fact the whole club was really designed with a lot of expertise from our, our architect and designer does a lot of work with casinos uh, and spas and salons uh, around the world so also brought some of that casino experience to it yeah yeah well they did a very nice job uh, so Meredith, uh, to you, uh, tell us a little bit about sort of how retailing is uh, woven into the fabric of the Cooper offering there. Absolutely. So actually, John, you hit on some of the points that I was going to lay out about the 
layout of the member experience and their journey through um, the club and that I really feel like clubs by nature kind of have bottled, bottled up and have that magic formula um, that retailers have been searching for, which is that regular foot traffic. And so what clubs have is they have people who have routines that come to us on a regular basis and it just makes perfect sense. And Brent, you were sharing before we got started that you were actually part of the kickoff of the coop, which is our retail space. It started kind of as a pro shop. It's morphed into kind of this boutique experience for our membership base. And um, I'd be curious to kind of hear your process as well with all of this, but um, as we, as we start to look at the coop and kind of the placement within the club, they pass by it before they ever get to what they came to the club to do. And they pass by it before they ever leave the club. So the placement was huge for us um, and very smart in the design. I was not part of that. I can't take credit, but um, it, it has definitely lent itself to our success that we've seen through our numbers and our revenues. So um, that's huge. And then I also just think that the neuroscience and psychology, I can, totally nerd out on this, but um, as you work out, at the end of your workouts, you feel good, you feel like you have made an accomplishment and you wanna reward yourself and you want that immediate um, satisfaction, that immediate, immediate um, impulse buy. And so they come to us before they leave and we are able to help fulfill that for them. So yeah, the coop has definitely been something that is part of the entire experience. We have customers that come in every day that is part of them coming to the gym is not only are they there to work out but they're going to swing by and see what's new in the store so also the re the inventory um, turnover for us we have new inventory every day so they want to come in and see what's new and special um so yeah that's great well one of those uh reward purchases is hanging around your neck i understand just as an example of some of the great things you're carrying right Yes, this is my shameless plug. This is product placement for us. <laughs> you can get it at the coop. <laughs> I like it. Very good, Blair. So uh, yeah, I mean this is interesting, right? Because that like that that it that's what they sell there. And I'm picturing like what do we do with retail in our clubs? And I and, and honestly, you know, I think fitness generally hasn't done a great job with this, right? I mean, you um you, you know you put in you know, well, it could fit over there, but we haven't been very thoughtful about this and hearing both John and Meredith talk about this, then, uh, you know, and the way Bill was kind of couching this session, I like this, right? Like there's two ways to think about this. What are you selling? That's retail, but what can we learn from other industries? And I, I love the idea of cruise ships, casinos and other retail. And I, you know, I, I say there are certain clubs everybody should go visit to really understand Midtown in Chicago, Gainesville Health and Fitness. I know Joe um, spent a lot of time at Selfridges in London and uh, read the book, uh, The New Rules of Retail. And yeah, that, that has me thinking right now, what are the new rules of retail now? You know, but and, and sort of creating that um, shopping experience. John said something the effect of um, a sense of arrival that you're about to have an experience with other like-minded people and when right. he said that i'm projecting myself into gainesville health and fitness and i'm thinking that is sort of there and certainly at midtown which i couldn't agree more about midtown it's one of my favorite places to train so um you know retail and and, and meredith you started to hit on turns 
and I'm wondering like for traditional retail, and I don't remember like how many inventory turns and, and are those things that you guys are measuring like total inventory turns and, and what do you have to hit to really have a, a, you know, some real profitability on retail, what type of margins and what type of inventory turns? Yeah. So I think it depends on your store and what you're selling um, and your consumer base. For us, we have a large group of women who want to come in and contemporary wear um, for women have been our strongest sellers. And so that will live on our live on our shelves for less than two weeks. Um, we turn through it pretty quickly. However, we are also a small space. So it's also important to keep in mind the space that you have. So looking at that, we need we buy in small quantities and therefore that's something that appeals to our to our uh, membership base is that they know they are going to have a unique piece that others aren't going to be wearing in dallas um and so that appeals to them and that's why they want to be the first ones in the store and they make it a part of their um gym experience but then uh, that also lends itself to our inventory turning pretty quickly. So if something starts to last, we we measure it in 30 days. After 30 days, we're going to start to discount because we know we are a small store inventory levels to be able to keep the aesthetics of the store, um, which also plays into just the psychology of, of a shopper. Um, we have to be able to move that inventory pretty quickly. So if we made a bad call, we've got to adjust, we've got to learn from it, doesn't matter. But every discount does have a lesson learned in that um, that we have to pick up on. I think just to add to that as well, what Meredith is saying is really true. In terms of the inventory turns, um, and it, it is something that you have to keep on top of from a retail perspective, and you've got to keep moving your stock around. Um, one of the things we, we find is really important um, is, I mean, we don't discount after 30, we do 60 days. We, we carry for 60 before we start discounting, um, but we move stuff around the store every day. So every day some rack is adjusted or changed or something. So when you come in, the first thing you see looks new, even if you were in yesterday. So it's just a matter of keep keeping it fresh or keeping it looking fresh so that, oh, I didn't see that yesterday. Um, that's something that you know, might, might grab my attention. And in terms of um, product lines, and we're also very heavily into contemporary wear um, as opposed to athleisure. Uh, which is also big for us, um, and probably more so now, actually post-COVID, the process shutdown, than it was before. Uh, because people are just wearing more leisure clothing now. Uh, you know, less people are going into the office, and people are saying, oh, I can just get away with wearing, you know, a, a more casual outfit today, because I'm going to be on a Zoom call with a few, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is the first time I've worn a shirt, proper shirt, in months. You know, uh, I dressed up for you Blair, guys. Blair still hasn't figured that out. I know he's I, not done anything. I, I got one out and put it over a chair at home to grab before I left, and then I got here at my office and said, "I got, I forgot it." <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, just to be clear uh, for the two of you, John and Meredith, and I want to let Bill chime in here, but. Uh, for the audience is listening, both of y'all are appealing to a high-end clientele, um, which you know is a part of the equation. Is some of the things that you're offering are at a price point perhaps that may not play well in other gyms and smaller facilities. However, the design and the concept of this sense of arrival and and turning your merchandise supplies, no matter what scale you're at. Yeah, I absolutely would say that's true. We, you know, we have some stores, the Chicago stores, 
um, fairly large. It's about 1,400 square feet, which for a uh, fitness facility or a health club is pretty big. Uh, but we also have some smaller ones that are down sort of four or 500 square feet as well. Um, and the stock we carry is different depending on the demographic and depending on whereabouts in the country we are. Our, um, our store in um, Western and South Florida carries a lot of um, uh, athleisure clothing and we do really well with our tennis clothing down there, but it's all very bright. It's all very um, South American influenced uh, colors and things, which would not sell well in upstate New York necessarily. We've tried some of it and it's, uh, you end up putting it back in the box and sending it back to Florida. Um, um, so knowing your market and knowing your demographic and what people are interested in and doubling down on that is really important. And then adding a little bit of extra flavor from time to time is also really important and it works whatever space you've got. You just have to know your market. Okay, very good. Bill, you've got clubs all over the country and a lot of different models as well. What uh, What's Active's philosophy around the whole retail concept from design and also offerings? Yeah, I, I wanna go back to, to just highlight something John and Meredith both said, Brent. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the audience listening, they're not doing retail as a background task. They're not doing retail as a additional offering. They're thinking strategically as a retailer. Okay. And that's a different game. All right. And this is, um, you know, when clubs have done cafes and restaurants and, and, other things they tend to do it as a revenue line background task let me just bolt on some stuff to try and make some money what meredith and john have talked about here is strategically thinking about retail as a core business function okay and again what business are you in are you in the retail business are you in the hospitality business are you in the subscription model membership business you know, John didn't go into details about some of the cool stuff they're doing. Everything they did in the flow of the customer is designed based with a retail mindset. You can't get to the other side of the club without going through the common gathering area of the restaurant. The barber shop is next to the men's locker room. You can't get to the men's locker room without going by the barber shop. The hair salon and the and the and the beauty salon and the services salon is by the women's locker room you can't avoid the serena williams designed um stringing and, and tennis area you know it's front and center it's, there's restringing isn't in a back room it's in a glass area that everybody sees that that is interested in tennis so everything that john's group did was thinking like a retailer uh brent you took me through meredith's club years ago when I was visiting. Um, I don't remember a lot about that um, because I was dated with all the, the stuff you were sharing with me during those tours. Um, but I'm sure it's the same kind of thing where it's thoughtful, it's purposeful. So we're talking tactics, which is great. But you know what, what SoulCycle and some of the studios taught me was they were in the retail business as much as they were in the fitness business. You know um and so there's a lot of a lot of things what active does we're in corporate fitness centers we're in medical centers so a lot of our retail is traditional club but with with an emphasis on uh impulse buying the neuroscience that Meredith's talking about um but um but what we've done is really try to take the retail on the website right and so our retail shop on our website is pretty pretty comprehensive you know apparel nutraceuticals equipment for the home 
um, you know, where it's, it's, it's broad-based for the consumer. Our industry is positioned like very few. Our customers come back regularly. They have an affinity to the brand already. They view us as a credible source. We should be selling them solutions for their lifestyle. And, and that's apparel, nutraceuticals, equipment, accessories, impulse buys. You know, if I have to go to a lock cabinet to get on ice water after a workout, I'm probably not going to do it. I'll wait till I get home. Um, but if there's a big tub of water on ice as I'm leaving, I'm going to want one of those so bad. You know, back to the neuroscience and impulse buying that Meredith talks about. So um, I've got some tactics I'll share a little bit about, you know, later in the webinar. But I really want to bring us back to this is not a background task, it's a strategy. And we have a very rich, I mean, people would pay us to have access to our, our membership base. And, and so how do we leverage that to be a better solution for those folks and make some money? And, and, and Bill, I'd add into that, you can think about your studios in the same way. So, you know, if you take um, a cycle studio, have an entrance, you can, you can define a space that changes from where you're walking into to, you know, like it's an arrival space. It's a waiting area. It's something that is lit differently, painted differently. The flooring is different. There's some element of arrival to that. And then there's, I can wait here before I enter the class. And it's going it, to, what happens is it heightens the levels of anticipation uh, because you're ready for something and you're ready to, to get into this experience or into this space. Um, and so we found that with, and we did a really good job of it with yoga, with our Samadhi yoga studio and the entrance through the mind and body area where it really decompresses and it's the, the silence in that space is designed specifically, um, it's deadened. And so you feel it when you walk in. Um, we didn't do such a great job of it in our um, Group X studio, and which, which we call the theater. We just didn't think of it at the time. And so go, having go, going back now and looking at our, our redevelopments, we are creating the same type of entrance and arrival experience for all of the studios like we did for Samadhi and Yoga. And so I think uh, I really what you've done and what Disney does, every space is its own destination. Right, right? exactly right. So, so <laughs> you created destinations within your product line where you go here and it's a different experience. It's a destination in and of itself. Yeah, and I think you can do that everywhere. I think anybody, doesn't matter whether you're dealing with a purpose-built premium, you know, 600,000, 700,000 square foot club, or you're dealing with a, you know, 50,000 square foot um, fitness center or gym in a strip mall. It doesn't matter. You can create that using lighting. You can create it using sound. You can create it using, um, you know, uh, retail, you know, opportunities within with regards to clothing and apparel around a certain studio or around a certain space or a certain type of class activity there's so many ways you can create that arrival that destination point within any facility it's just and the, casino, the casinos use scent as well right aromatherapy and scent so you could even have different areas that trigger emotional scent triggers in yoga or, or elsewhere yeah so some of the questions i've got three or four and they're all around this same question they want to get right to the meat of the matter which is is it profitable um so can you speak a little bit to your margins that you're hitting and maybe 
maybe revenue per square foot. I didn't prepare you all with that question in advance. If you know that number, if not, maybe just a general sense of what your revenue is, that would be great for the uh, questions out there. Meredith, you well, want, do you have information about that? Do you want me to start with John first or? No, 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 I have, I have some information on that. So as I mentioned, we do have apparel equipment. We kind of lump that all under one um, umbrella. And then we also have our vitamin line as well. So um, within our space, we are doing about 40% um, or 46% of sales this year are going towards our vitamins, which is actually up from last year, which is good. Um, as far as the percentage goes, I think people are wanting to ensure that they're healthy and they're placing an emphasis on the vitamin intake. Um, and, and then our apparel is about 54% um, of our revenue. When we look at that, we also had a breakdown of our contemporary workout and then jewelry and accessories. Um, so typical retail, you're going to have what's called Keystone, which is going to be 100% markup. We do typically 115% markup, um, which gives us a little bit of margin should we need to because we are a small space and we need to have those discounts if something sits longer than we would like. Um, we do have a little bit of wiggle room there where we're able to have um, still maintain that 100% margin. Um, to answer the question directly, yes, it's profitable. <laughs> um, we end up, we have, uh, let's see, last year, 2019 was around 700,000 in revenue. Um, take home after salaries and wages, commissions, um, and then obviously cost of goods. Um, all of that ended up being about 150,000. So um, yes, there's a good, there's a, it's worth your time. <laughs> Okay. And then, and then you think about how that feeds into, again, that whole member experience um, and what they're feeling as being a part of your community and how you're being able to create that. So um, I think that it's it's definitely something if done correctly. Um, and to I think it was John's point of knowing your demographics, knowing um, what they like and that that we are very lucky. We have a skilled, seasoned um, buyer. A retail manager who she knows what she's doing she knows our customer base and she hits the nail on the head almost every time so yep it comes back to the right champion again like so many other things in our business right right good john what about some numbers from you can you give the audience sure. any kind of insight yeah no absolutely um so again yeah we're profit our, our retail stores are profitable in all of our facilities um the Chicago one obviously does more volume than, than the others, but they all run around a 25% uh, profit margin, get, you know, getting close to 30% Chicago. Um, we do, I think Chicago did about 1.6 million last year in revenue uh, in the Chicago club. The others are anywhere between uh, 500 and 800,000, depending uh, on the location uh, and, and re annual revenues. Um, it It is hugely, advantageous to the member experience we look at it and say that this is part of this is part of your dues this is what you pay for you pay for this experience this feeling um, that you get as being part of this club um, but the other thing i would say that is that is really important that can add a huge amount of value the store can add a huge amount of value to your membership base because it reconfirms why why you're there it reconfirms your buying purchase yeah, so I, you know, I bought a membership here. It's expensive, and I'm looking around, and I see all these people, and I see these, this, this store with these beautiful products, and it's like a, you know, it's a reaffirmation in some ways. Every time you come in and out, 
Um, and as, as Bill said, you have to go past the store twice, you know, on the way in and on the way out. It's it's right there. Um, but the other thing it does, and this is something that I, I'm not sure as an industry we've lent into really well, uh, and we've started doing it more pre-COVID shutdown, we were doing it a lot more, um, is partnering with these brands. So finding brands who want access, as Bill was saying, your brands want access to the membership that is coming in and out of your facility all the time. That is a huge advantage to a retail brand, uh, particularly in this day and age when no one's going to a mall, they're all shopping on online. Um, you have the opportunity to bring a brand partner in and do some sort of experience around it. As an example, we, we worked with um, Salomon uh, a couple of years ago, uh, just when we opened the club in Chicago, who we invited our top 100 runners. So we went on, uh, you, have to, you can log in on our pre-core equipment um, to, to run, uh, to use the, the, the previous system. Um, we went into the system, pulled out our, the people who had done the most miles in a, in a period of time, our top runners and invited them to a special event that Salomon paid for, Salomon hosted in the store to unveil their new um, outdoor running shoe. Uh -huh. And it was, you know, the, the social media hits, the, um, you know, the, the, all of the ancillary energy that it created and, and drove for the club and for the membership. And the members who were invited were just blown away. You know, they're like, oh my God, I'm one of the top 100. Then they start competing. Oh, what, what number, am I 100, am I one? Am I, who's one? Who's one here? Who looks like they're number one? And uh, who's 100? Um, and so it was really an interesting experience. And we've done it a lot more since with uh, Arcteryx is another brand we partner with a lot um, on running shoes, are really interested in, in this sort of uh, experience. Uh, you know, some of the big brands are harder to work with and Nike and Adidas and, under Armour, for example, uh, because they have so many more channels, much more omni-channel, but some of the smaller brands uh, have been fabulous. And Spiritual Gangster has been unbelievable for us um, in terms of yoga wear. So I would say lean into that. So one question for you, John, just real quick from the audience. A good friend of, uh, that we all know is asking about a spin bike outside the spin studio as part of, uh, can you tell the audience what he's talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have uh, a spin bike that's outside our ride, our studio is called Ride, and we had it custom uh, painted uh, by American Chopper, so the television series uh, American Chopper, who customised those, uh, those those bikes. So we sent a pre-core spin bike down to them, and they did an incredible paint job on it and uh, and made it look like a you know something pretty pretty special and sent it back to us and it is it's part of the entrance when i talk about entrance experience it's part of the entrance to the studio so it sits there john does it become a photo op for your members it's, a huge, posting? Yeah. it's a huge photo op on instagram people take people sit on it a lot of people go am i allowed to sit on it is it like a special statue type <laughs> like no you can sit on it it's a real spin bike it's just been painted especially you know and it's got a little plaque next to it you know presented by american chopper um, and it's signed, you know, autographed, and, uh, and people do that. So it's a, this, the other thing we did a lot of with the club, Brent, while we were designing it was, how can we create photo ops for social media, particularly Instagram? You know, it was like taking the, uh, the, the if you, I don't, you guys are probably too young. Well, maybe not some of you, Brent, Blair may not be too young, but, but you used to go, when you used to go to a national park and they'd have the, um, they'd have the little plaque that says Kodak moment. This is a Kodak. Yes 
can pick the photo of, um, yeah. of, of that, that scenery. We did the same thing with the club. We went around going, okay, so where's our Kodak spot? Where do we want people to take pictures? And what is in the background? You know, so the bike right. has got the branding on it, you know, um, the fight studio, the, 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 the boxing studio, the big fight lights is Midtown branding on it. So it's like, just how many of these spaces can we create? Again, thinking like a retailer, how do we get this brand out in, in living in the real world? And right. then it expands exponentially too with like-minded customers. So that's that's something that we've been talking about too within our space is how do we create that um, so that we are basically expanding our marketing team to be able to be with our with our customer base. They're going to tell the story better than we can. <laughs> right. They're going to take the photos and take the selfies somewhere. You might as well give them a grand opportunity to share your branding, right? Yep. Right. Sure. Go ahead, how many well, I, oh, Blair take? had a hand up first, Bill. I'll let Blair go first. Well, I just want to know how many selfies you take a week personally. <laughs> oh, me? Yeah. I'm not even sure what that means, selfie. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah, take a selfie of me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm wondering, like, post-COVID, um, how, how dependent are your retail spaces on, like, people trying clothes on, using changing rooms? Um, and so post-COVID, how is it, you know, what are you seeing right there in consumer behavior and how is it impacting? I'll jump in here. So, uh, so it's interesting because within our company, uh, COVID presented a lot of obstacles, but a lot of fun creative channels that we were looking at other industries because we are different industries here all on one campus. So we are the hotel industry. We are retail, we are gems, we are a clinic based. So looking at all of that, um, we had different guidelines that were given to us. And as we reopened, and again, being part of being in Texas, we reopened a little bit earlier than others. And sometimes there weren't guidelines provided to us. And so we were having to pull from other industries as well that had provided guidelines to kind of come up with those best practices. And what's interesting is the consumers getting fed all of that information. And so regardless if they're associating, associating it with um, guidelines for a specific industry, if they hear that in one area that they shouldn't be going into a changing room, um, then they're going to associate that with our locker room as well, or vice versa. It was For us, it was vice versa. Locker rooms weren't able to open up, and therefore the changing room became on top of, of conversation or dressing room. And so, yeah, there definitely were components that we had to adjust to. Um, and the biggest things were um, space, number of people in the space, of masking up, obviously, and then also the visual optics of cleaning um, in the space. Um, but what's interesting also with retail is people do like, you hear this death of brick and mortar, uh, that's not really the case. Um, it is definitely, it's not growing at the same rate that online sales are, but it still outsells. And that's because people like to touch and feel um, their garments before they purchase it. And what's interesting that we found is men don't mind. They know their size, it all translates, but for women, every line is different. You might be a medium in one size or one line and then another line you're going to be a size small and you don't know until you try it on. But for us, one of the guidelines that came with um, with retail space was best practice was no returns. And so that was somewhat of a challenge when at the time people weren't feeling safe trying apparel on. Um, and so we had to really 
think through sticking with um, this main lines that our customers already knew instead of bringing in new lines so that they were aware of the fit and the size that they typically needed from the, those lines. So yeah, it definitely yeah. presented some challenges, but I think it also forced us to think a little creatively and um, forced conversations too with our customer base. So Meredith, before I let you go on that comment, you mentioned before we started that uh, you know, there's been a big influence in your mind from the Generation Z uh, demographic about retail. Can you just share a little bit of your thoughts with that with everyone? Yeah, so I think this applies to Bill's point that this isn't just about retail, this conversation. It's how do you take this blueprint of retail and how do you overlay it into the fitness industry as well? So we need to already be looking forward to the Gen Z um, and what their buying powers are right now. Right now, they um, may not be the ones that are actually making the purchases, but they are influencing their, their parents. And what's interesting that they're seeing in Gen Z's um, buying interest is they're interested in clothes, shoes, music, and apps right now. And when you think about that from a fitness standpoint, that applies to us, especially the app side, as we've had a lot of conversations about fitness um, online. And they're driving those behaviors towards their parents um, and their parents' buying expectations and um, kind of their values are now being shifted based off of their own um, kids' perspectives that they're sharing with them. Um, and so the other component too with Gen Z that eventually, and it may be based on market, I'm not an expert in this at all, but based on the market is they are not looking for status from their apparel. They are looking for unique apparel. Um, and so again, not sticking with those big name brands because they can get that anywhere and anyone else might be wearing it. They want something unique and they're willing to pay for it, but they're also looking for a deal as well in that component. So it, I think that that is just uh, something that we need to be looking for. I can translate that into the fitness world as well as kind of the membership side of things as to how we need to be focusing that next generation. And it's okay. already making its impact. We're already seeing it. So, so another question from the audience, uh, and I'll, John and Meredith, y'all can just answer this fairly quickly because I've got some other questions I want to ask you. But they're wondering about in the spa, and I know both of you are running spas. Can you just tell the, the audience how much of your revenue comes from retail and your spa? What percentage of sales are coming from the actual retail rather than the services? Yeah, sure, I can jump in there. Um, uh, it's not enough is the short answer. Um, we see um, it's it's in actual fact it's dropped since we reopened. So prior to COVID, we were probably around 15% of total revenue was from product lines, um, and it's down around 10% now. So um, you know, one of the things with the spa is, is having the credibility or having the therapists uh, or the um, estheticians or the hairdressers recommend a product for you to take away. Right. Um, and a lot of uh, those folks don't like to be overly sally. Yes. Um, and so it's hard to, you know, getting them to understand that, look, you're not selling, you're not making, this is, you're not shopping with your own wallet and you're not selling, this isn't a hard sell. This is you. somebody, you've used a, uh, product on somebody's face for a facial or you've done um, 
something you know, cut the hair and, and so here's a recommendation that would be good for what my experience tells me looking at your skin or looking at your hair or what i've what i've seen and you know i think good for you to take away um it's still a challenge it's an ongoing training challenge and ongoing uh, challenge but i we've also seen it drop over the last uh, couple of months with people coming back from covid where do you want it to be john well we'd ideally we'd like it around 25 percent okay all right, Meredith, how about you? What's your percentage of uh, sales coming from retail in the spa? You know what, Brent? I am not as involved in our spa. I don't have those numbers in front of me, sorry. That's all right, that's all right. Um, okay, Blair, I wanna bring us back to sort of this bigger topic. Um, you've heard John, Meredith, and Bill all mentioning the word experience. That's a word I've heard you utter a few times in the past. How do you think this connects to the sort of member experience overall, creating a destination and a, a you know sort of a reception into these spaces? I mean, that really plays into this whole customer journey that we've talked about so many times in the past, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, and one of the things that John was hitting on too is you think about, you know, you can you can imagine the investments that have been made here, uh, both at Cooper and at Midtown. But it's the concept, and I'm and I'm as as both Meredith and John are, are talking about what they've done there. I'm kind of rethinking some of our spaces in our in our own clubs because we do a lot of member journey mapping and really try to understand and make it and and make it very smooth. I'm also thinking of the places um, where our members are experiencing our clubs uh, where they didn't use to before. Like you know, we've talked a lot about virtual, right? And I'm, I'm wondering about opportunities there for the people that are actually executing those virtual classes to be repping some of that product out to the out to the many, uh, perhaps, you know, and, and I, I don't know if you guys are doing anything with that, but that might be that might be a spot that we're underutilizing is that is that virtual to really maybe drive some retail sales. And I hadn't thought about it until I, until we were, you know, listening to it here. Um, but if you just think about your own experience like there's some there's some favorite places that you have where the physical plant just sort of uh kind of brings you and i can remember 1989 bill brought this up about casinos use scent you know in there i remember when the mirage opened in 89 and we would go into the mirage and they had their own special scent that they you know that i think was uh you know combination of uh i don't know what it was coconut and something but but it literally every time we'd go back there it's like god it's like you're home i mean you had this you would center on it and i think that we have so undervalued this and there's so many things that you can do if you if your clubs that look like mine which are you know more like gyms they're not very big there's two of them but there's so many inexpensive things you can do to improve that entire member journey throughout your club. You just have to have a real good eye for it. You have to have a really good eye for it. That's a really good point. Sorry, Bill. Just to double down on that, um, Blair, using aroma and scent is one of the most underutilized aspects of retailing. You know, retailers use it like a science. You know, there, there is a certain aroma that will entice you to buy. Um, and and, and it, it's a it's it, it's a science. It's not an art. It's literally this will encourage people to make a purchase. Um, and so, you know, we use that in our in our our spa has a certain uh, aroma. Our, our shop has a different one. Uh, we have one when you enter the club. You know, there's a certain aroma when you enter the club, so you feel ah, I'm home. 
it's a grounding almost a grounding um, aroma but that is really inexpensive to do and you can do that you know at the front entrance to any club or gym you know yep. just create that sense of arrival again yep you've got to be you've got to be careful with it um blair mandalay bay comes to mind with regard to my trigger on scent you got to be yeah. careful with scent though it's got to be done the right way if it's overbearing it becomes a negative and so it's got to be you know and the same thing john's talking about is with color there are certain colors that trigger uh a comfort confidence safety you know so um but it is underutilized a couple of things we haven't brought up brent um that i'd love to hear what meredith and john do on this front um is the events trunk shows local mm -hmm. artisans that make their own jewelry you know bringing those people in and making retail not just a destination and a place which is important but an event an experience you know so um, and, and by bringing in outsiders with their inventory, um, even if your margins are less, you're you're helping with that refresh, that newness, that different, oh, they're having a trunk show, I'm making an event out of it. So what do you guys do, um, Meredith and John, um, primarily on uh, events with regard to retail? Yeah, I'll jump in here. So I will pull the curtain back here. I did not have a back background in retail at all <laughs> until about five years ago so um but what i did come in with was this background in people and in programming and when i first started involving myself um in our retail space that was the first thing i thought of was how do we make this more of an experience again back to the social component um, when you look back historically marketplace has always been where people gather where they get to know each other if you go and travel anywhere you're going to the marketplace and so you get to feel the culture and you get to immerse yourself in it and so how could we bring that to our club culture through our retail space um, with retail events so that was kind of the first thing that I wanted to tackle was adding in some social components um, with it. And so what we do is we do have um, a trunk show series. What we've found success in is um, not relying on kind of our everyday vendors, but the vendors or the lines that we maybe either feel like might be a risk for us. Um, we're not sure how our consumer will respond because the bonus of a trunk show is that you only have to purchase what you sell. And so that's a safe um, risk for us to kind of try something out. And then um, it also we found was uh, local designers were something that our consumer really enjoyed um, being a part of and supporting. And again, back to the unique side of products, they it, like knowing that they have something that's one of a kind um, and kind of that artisan feel. So those were opportunities that we um, started with, with the trunk shows. And then we also started, again, not being a retailer, but I've been a consumer my entire life. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I love shopping. Um, that my own experiences in stores and kind of what what is the life that they bring to it when they do have events that draw me in. Um, and so usually it is kind of a new line that I'm interested in checking out. Um, if there are special guests, um, DJs, um, and just really kind of pumping up 
the energy um, through an event that we are able to host. And we've done some upstairs in one of our studio spaces, and then we've also done around our poolside. Um, and honestly, we're using inventory that we would have been bringing into the club anyway <laughs> and these special events, but we just make it an event where people feel special. And then also we have typically a VIP sneak peek. So we reach out to our top spenders, talk, tell them we want to make sure that they get first pick, um, they get the first two hours to thumb through everything. And again, that drives an immediate sale for us because they don't want to miss out. Um, so. Those are some of the things we've done to be able to help drive some special, unique social components. Yeah, I really love that sneak peek VIP idea. I think, uh, you know, the Nordstrom's and even Marcus's of the world uh, really modeled that for everybody very successfully for a long time. Yep. Go ahead, yeah, would, John. Yeah, I would just uh, just reinforce what Meredith's saying about making it an event and, and, and social. And we do the same thing. We, you know, one of our, um, one of our a key um, strategic anchors is around you know, strong communities and creating strong communities. And we like to, to do the same thing with local artisans, local um, retailers, uh, people that have boutique stores uh, in and around where our clubs are located. And we reach out to them, we partner with them and, and they, they love getting in front of our members. Um, and, and we just like the difference it brings, different energy it brings to the, uh, to the clubs and have it out in the open. You know, this is where we, we do them out in the main foyer or the main open entrance areas of the club, the lobbies of the club, that area in front of the stores. Um, we do it with our spa as well. We bring people in from our, um, there's some boutique spa product lines as well that are trying to gain momentum or gain traction. And we do the same thing with our spa product lines. Um, and it just, you know, it just adds a flavor to the club. And, and you know, as Meredith said, giving your VIP, your top spenders, identifying who those people are using your data that you have on uh, you know, point of sale purchases is really valuable because it does gives you a head start um, on, on moving some of that product and it makes the retailers feel good and want to come back. And so you, you end up with a, um, a list of, um, of different people you can bring in at different times and you keep it fresh and they generally come in once or twice a year and we keep moving um, different product lines and different people and and we've done it with art, uh, local, with artists, local art um, artists as well, with partnering with art galleries and statues, sculptures, paintings, all sorts of things that really just, you know, again, it's that uniqueness, it's that boutique right. feeling. Yeah. Go ahead, I was Mary. just going to add on that too, thinking through who you partner with. We also partner interdepartmentally. So what are the spaces like our spa space that's a demographic that we feel like crosses over and it should cross over more than it does with our retail space as well as our pilates and even our dermatology services um, those are local patients that we want to be able to tap into and make sure that they travel across campus and know that we exist within the health club um, and just again exposure to a different demographic that maybe is like-minded yeah. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah. So back to what John and, and Meredith were talking about. It's a, it's a circle, right? That you know you can put your staff in featured apparel that you're selling. You can put coupons with your new member information. You can use rewards to on retail. Um, if I give you a fifty dollar 
pro shop coupon versus $50 off your dues or $100, pick your number, it's costing me half because of the margin, right? So you can you need to think about how retail supports membership, how membership supports retail, and how it all flows together. Um, activewellness.com forward slash shop is our online retail, retail sh shop, right? We sell a Stroops home fitness bundle. Well, when we're doing our videos for fitness training, we're using that equipment, right? So you see it, you can buy it, you know, so you think about this as a circle of rewards, coupons. Uh, Meredith did a great job with uh, product placement, right? You know, so all of this speeds, how does retail support membership? How does membership support retail? And how does it think about it holistically from all angles versus a siloed? Um, I think that um, that Blair wants to say something, so I'm just going to keep talking in a filibuster type. Hey, yeah, exactly. No, Bill, will you explain about the equipment though? Are are you are you buying and inventorying that and holding that on your balance sheet, or no. are you partnering with somebody? Right. I mean, so we we use we use designs for health for our nutraceuticals and supplements. Uh, we have a Stroops home equipment bundle. Uh, everything's direct ship, um, no inventory, no shrinkage. Um, so you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm not a retailer, so I don't want to handle a ton of inventory, um, especially on things with with high high cost. Um, but I mean, most health clubs make 10 to 20 percent EBITDA margin. You know. 15% is kind of a normal kind of thing. Not not Meredith and John Brady's clubs. I mean, they're much, much bigger on their EBITDA margin for a club. And Blair's. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and Blair's, yes. But if you, um, you know, if you're making, you know, 40% margin, 50% margin on retail without an allocation of, of rent, you know, that's that's high revenue per square foot with high margin. So, you know, this isn't something where um, it's, you know, it shouldn't just be a, a throwaway. This is this is high margin business if done right in small footprints that adds value to everything else. So look, I've got one uh, question. We've got about six minutes left here. And the question revolves around any sort of, have you done anything about your membership models or your membership structure that involves a retail consideration? Um, in terms of you're talking about in terms of customer membership types and things like that, thinking about it as a customer as opposed to a member, is that the, uh, yeah, perhaps I think, and it's sort of tied also to the gift card loyalty concept, uh, rewards either internally or externally for behaviors of members, those kind of things. Yeah, we we have uh, we have not done a, a great deal of that at Midtown. Uh, in terms of loyalty, we track a lot of what our members do, and we we lean into that data. So we uh, we very much personalise it based on what people are spending, what their habits are, and, and inviting them to events, and inviting them to uh, you know the VIP experience at the at the store, for example, or the spa, or uh, at a restaurant, um, or within PT. So we you know rather than giving people discounts off things and rewarding them that way, we tend to lean into what is it that we know about you that you are doing that you like doing or that you've told us you enjoy and we lean into that around events and around activities and around early bird uh, opportunities 
Okay, yeah, I love that answer. Go ahead, Meredith. Yeah, so we actually did, gosh, maybe a couple of years ago, started a member loyalty program that transcends beyond retail um, within the club. And we use Perkville, but we were able to brand it as My Cooper Rewards Points. Um, and with that, we've been able to, because what I love about it is you can constantly change what people are, how people earn. So you're driving behaviors that you're wanting out of your consumer. Um, and then also what they're able to redeem their points for um, based off of needs. So for us within the retail space, again, we tend to lean on the apparel that maybe hasn't moved as quickly um, that we are able to tie it back to. Or if we have a new product launch that we're wanting them to be able to experience and kind of let them know, hey, you're already using my zone. You're earning maps there. You're getting points with us. So let's use those points towards trying out SGT or a new a new service that we're offering. So absolutely, we've been very successful. I think our members really do appreciate that. And I have to admit, I was even one of those people that questioned that because I'm not that type of consumer. That, that doesn't drive my behavior. Um, I'm going to do what I want to do. But it has been successful with our membership base. And I, I would recommend it now. <laughs> okay, very good. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, I was just... Um... You know, I, I was just building on what Meredith was saying. Perkville and the rewards platforms, you can dial them up and down as you need to, and you can move old product that's not moving and get people to burn their rewards so you can get those off your balance sheet. Um, you know, so I've got this inventory of stuff. Let me use that for incentives, thank you gifts, or to burn rewards. So again, thinking strategically about your inventory flip with your rewards, with your consumer behavior all together. Right. So we have uh, just one more round uh, of time, I think, and I want to let each of you sort of thinking back on the topic today, what are a couple of pieces of uh, tactical or conceptual advice that you would give based on your own experience around retail, either related to the design space or, you know, retail as we generally refer to it as. So Blair, I'll let you start. Yeah, I would say, you know, I really I really appreciate Bill really keeping hitting on this idea of thinking strategically about it and and then, you know, use the word holistically there like how do you how do you really weave this in and not just have it be a bolt-on. I think that's important and I think if you're going to do that, you have to know who you are, right? Who you are as a brand and as we're uh, listening to um as we're listening to Meredith and John, we've got did, did we just lose me? Um, no. yeah. We lost video. Keep going. Did we? Oh, we all lost video, huh? Did we? Yep. And so, as as we're as we're listening to um, kind of what their sales are and how they do, you get this picture of pretty high end. One of the most successful retail operations in the fitness business is Gold's Gym Venice, and you know it's it's you know t-shirts and sweatshirts and a lot of inventory that moves that moves really quick. So just just remember kind of who you are, make sure what you're gonna retail aligns with who you are. And then I would the, the last thing I would say about it is you have to measure inventory turns to know if you're gonna be profitable. And look at what inventory turns are traditionally in retail. They might be 10, 12 times a year on total inventory, total dollar volume, so that you're not just sitting on a bunch of, you know, value on your balance sheets that's sitting in a back closet somewhere. Okay, John? Yeah, I would say the same thing as Blair. You know, make sure you, you're authentic. Make sure you know who your market is. Make sure you know 
what your members are interested in and, and what they what they like to purchase. You know, the, the worst thing you can do is put product out there that um, that, that you like, um, that your members don't because you're going to be stuck with it on your balance sheet or, or you're going to have a lot of it in your wardrobe at home. That, that's the other way of looking at it. Um, so um, it's an expensive way to do it. But I, I think um, understanding that space and, un, and making sure that it is part of your club experience make the member journey if you do any journey mapping you know put stuff in front of people make them walk around it and then change it every day what they have to walk around um you know make but don't assume that people are going to see it if they're walking by it because they won't it becomes like wallpaper um and so you have to keep changing up you have to keep moving things around you have to keep putting things in front of people um and you know just don't be don't be ashamed of it and don't be embarrassed by it. Just you know you you've got product that you you think your members like. You know retailers, if you're thinking like a retailer, you know they're putting stuff out in front of you all the time. They're making you walk around things to get to places. They're making right. you know you have to you think about a supermarket. You know you walk into into a supermarket. You know the stuff that you really want, the bread and the milk, is in the far corner. You've got to walk through the whole place to get to the bread and the milk generally. Um, right. And then when you, come up to the, when you come up to check out, you've got all the candy right there. You know, there's like lots of little candy and lots of magazines. You might just grab a couple and throw it in. Think like that. Think like a retailer. That's right. Okay. Meredith, parting words, a couple. Yeah, I would just implore everyone not to shy away from this. I think you don't have to have that retail background. You all are consumers yourselves. And I think if you can be a conscious consumer consistently, you're going to be able to pick up the tactics that are needed to be able to be successful. Um, and so I, I'm hopeful that we gave some good action items for everyone as they start to maybe rethink their space, but especially the layout. And I won't echo, I, I will echo everything that John and Blair have already said um, regarding that. But I think the other thing that I would just, we didn't touch on this, but with COVID, there has been a change in that people are doing online shopping and they're, they have changed their brand loyalty. Um, and so we have to do everything we can to maintain that right now. And I think being able to have both options available is something that is needed and customers will now expect after this. They will want still that in-person experience that we're, we've been talking about, but for the convenience factor, they will also still expect that online presence and a quick, easy fix for that for e-commerce. If you don't have that space is Instagram. Utilize the tools that are there. I could do a whole other session on that. So, OK, thank you, Meredith. Bill. Yeah, I just would say, you know, you can have a kiosk where people can order online um, and have your product displayed and not carry inventory. So displays, demos, direct ship. Try and direct ship anything you can. And remember, you know, the, the old quote, enthusiasm is contagious and so is lack thereof. So put enthusiasm behind your retail efforts. Yep, good words. So thanks to all the panelists again. Thanks for all of you for uh, tuning in today. Thanks to Jonas Fitness for sponsoring today's session. Uh, come back again next week. We'll be here once again on another great topic. Panelists, John and Meredith, uh, Bill, Blair, all of you, thank you again uh, for volunteering your time this week for the benefit of the industry. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. Thank you, guys. Everyone be the salt and the light. Thank you.